0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things reader's advisory, collection development, and reference right into your ears. I'm Susan McGuire, Senior Editor for Collection Management and Library Outreach at Booklist, here to guide you through whatever book or library-adjacent topics catch my fancy and the fancy of the world at large. Today, that world is large and varied, or at least it is for this episode. A real smorgasbord of content, if you will. First, I talked to Sarah Tansley of the Chicago Public Library about the codes list of essential cookbooks. What does that mean? You'll find out. Then, Booklist audio editor Heather Booth shares some audiobooks for all ages that will make soccer practice commuting that much more delightful. Finally, I talk to Booklist's new editor and publisher, George Kendall, about the end of the world and what he'll be reading during the apocalypse. But first, a few friendly words. I'm Donna Seaman, editor for adult books at Booklist and the current chair of
1: the selection committee for the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction and Nonfiction. I'm here to announce that our long list for the 2020 awards is available.
0: I'm going to read you a long address here, ala.org slash awards grants Carnegie adult long list. When you reach this page, please scroll way down below the list. You'll see another link for a printable flyer. Perfect for sharing with your patrons. These are terrific books to recommend to readers. Thank you so much. I've always considered cookbooks to be library gold. Patrons love trying out recipes, testing to see if a cookbook is worth adding to their permanent personal collection, or just looking at the pretty pictures. Managing a cookbook collection is tough, though. There are so many out there, and they're kind of expensive. Plus, how do you know when it's worth replacing a popular cookbook with a newer or better version? Fortunately, library collections are a team sport. One of Team Library's greatest assets is CODES, the Collection Development and Evaluation section of RUSA, the Reference and User Services Association. Not only is their acronym game strong but CODES is also a great resource for highlighting the best of a competitive publishing market. The CODES list for cookbooks is a great example of that. The 12 best cookbooks of 2018 cover a range of cuisines, cooking abilities, and styles. Sarah Tansley is a branch manager at the Chicago Public Library and a member of the CODES list cookbooks committee. She and I sat down to chat about what makes a cookbook essential, how she talks to her patrons about cookbooks, and the best recipe for wings hint it's in one of the codes list cookbooks all of the titles we discuss are in the show notes which as always you can find on booklistonline.com shelf hyphen care here we go okay hi sarah hi. thanks for joining me at booklist hq hello uh so i'm very excited to talk to you about cookbooks because they're super popular and i think there are so many of them it can be hard to i don't know you get flooded with cookbooks absolutely what's a food metaphor for that the pot of cookbooks
2: boils over yes that is absolutely right (laughs) there is it is one of the bigger areas of collection development and like it's easy to get lost and they're kind of expensive so yeah and there's a lot of trends yeah and like how you know how can you balance that so let's talk about stuff so
0: the reason that i have you specifically in here is because you were part of the codes list committee. Codes is part of RUSA, Reference and User Services Mm -hmm. Association. Sorry, I'm doing the librarian thing where I'm saying the acronyms and not explaining it. Sure. But welcome to the library world, everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you you guys did your first
2: list. Okay, can you talk about the codes list and- So the codes list is a new concept that RUSA is developing to kind of shift to the needs of librarians now, public librarians now. A lot of their lists were based on reference books mm-hmm. that we don't actually buy anymore. They're yeah. either digital or... So as your reference collection's sh- shrinking, what how is RUSA helping you with your collection development? And so this list concept, starting with the cookbook list and then it's gonna expand into other areas of collection development, is supposed to be a quick list that someone who knows nothing about cookbooks in a library can buy and feel good about buying like classics yeah or and like you can buy five of these books and feel great about if that's the only collection development you've done that year
0: right and that is so key we were talking a little bit before we got on mike about the many hats people in smaller libraries mm-hmm. wear and i have a friend who is the director of a library hi dana who spends two hours a week on collection development that's all she has so this is an exciting tool. Absolutely.
2: And there are 10 on the list, is that? There's 10 on the list, exactly. Um, and that is flexible. You know, you never know what it might be a baker's dozen one year. That's what right. we're hoping for. Oh, good fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So talk about how, and I'll make sure there's a link to this list in the show notes and any of the other cookbooks we mentioned, mm-hmm. there will be links in the show notes. So y'all don't have to worry about taking notes. But talk a little bit about the criteria that you
2: guys had for picking the best. So the committee is small, but we're mighty. Um, (laughs) We look at pretty much everything that comes out. My process, we all kind of do a little slightly different, but my process is if I feel like the book is meeting our criteria, it then comes home and I cook out of it. Oh, So everything that's on the list has been cooked out of, everyone's cooked in it. From it on mm-hmm. the committee because we really feel like the most important one is that the recipes are um, well conceived and explained in the book yeah. and that means you have to use the book. And that is the thing selectors definitely don't have time to do. Right, exactly. So to say a book's exceptional by just looking at it it's just not possible. So right. we're looking at the recipes, we're looking at layout and design, we're looking at subject and voice, mm-hmm. so, cookbooks are narrative now, so yeah. what's the storyline, who's writing it, what's the feel. We want it to make an impact, mm. and that impact is you know, usually in the genre of the cookbook. And then um, we're hoping to, that it's lasting importance, so right. it's really going to be on your shelves for a very long time until it gets dirty and right. the pages fall out. Until you have to replace it. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's the hardest
0: thing to, I mean, it's not a guess, but that is the hardest thing to predict is the lasting impact of a book. Mm-hmm. Do you have any insights into what, what well, makes you think it'll last?
2: When we're looking at a book, like I could say the first book on the, the list from 2018 was The Dinner Illustrated, 175 Meals by America's Test Kitchen. And that book is a book that I enjoyed so much, mm-hmm. but it's actually even better for a beginning cook. The layout in it was unique because it looks like the instructions you get with a meal prep. Yeah. Kit. And so it has pictures, step-by-step pictures. Oh, gosh, yes. And we can't keep it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those, like, once people pick it up, they're like, whoa, and it's gone. Oh, my God. i to place the hold on when we're done talking. <laughs> exactly. And so it's like a book like that. You almost feel it right away. Like it's just, and then you start cooking and you're amazed by the food that's coming out of it. And you're, you know, everybody eats everything at the dinner party. You're like, okay, nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the books like bottom of the pot, which is the Persian recipes and stories just felt like there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. And it was just so significant. So there's kind of like two, there's like the more popular book. Yeah. And then there's the more significant cultural, culturally significant book.
0: Yeah, I think that that, the idea of like mass appeal that I think the America's Test Kitchen book definitely meets is we we sometimes are mistaken and assume that it just means like it has the broadest possible audience. Where was
2: I going with that? (laughs) But Uh, there's also just the significance of where the book is coming from, mm -hmm. whether it's culturally or at this time period, you know, what it means. And so we do... You try not to compare books from, uh, you know, other authors from different years, but right. most of us are cookbook nerds, and so okay. we do go, well, I don't know that book from five years ago by so-and-so. I think it did just, it, t- it did it a little better, and then that makes it go from good, like it kind of gets knocked from exceptional to just to great. Just real good. Yeah. yeah, just to real good, which is, you know, we so many books are good. Yeah. But these are exceptional, so we okay. really keep that in mind. One thing that I noticed about the list too, and maybe
0: this, you, you can speak a little bit to like the cultural significance or the timeliness of it, is that a lot of, most of these really were cuisine based, I guess, rather than technique based, you know, the way the America's Test Kitchen is like fast mm-hmm. recipes or, you know, device based. We see a lot of like
2: Instant Pot cookbooks. Correct. and It's s- not that we don't look at those, yeah. but are they really exceptional? Right. And... I think that if you're looking at the way these books are published, the thought that goes into the photography, Mm -hmm. the layout and design, the stories that are in with the, about the author, Mm -hmm. about how they made the food, the science angle, all of that that goes into it, you don't really see that in, you know, 100 best keto recipes or, you know, but that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be one. Yeah, yeah. We, we consider everything. So we're, you know, it's like a challenge. Like, bring us one that you think is fantastic. We'll try it. So, but with these, we did yeah. have, I think it's a diversity of, like, types of food. Mm-hmm. And really, like, even with, like, Sister Pie and Maddie Matheson, we're bored about the story in the book. Right. I mean, you read it cover to cover. It was great. <laughs> and that's kind of leads to the... You know, there's two kinds of cookbook readers now, yeah. and it, it's probably based on all the cooking television. Right. But with cooking television becoming so popular, people don't feel like they have to cook from the cookbook, so mm-hmm. they read it, and then they bring it back to the library. They haven't made a single thing. Yeah. They just enjoy it as uh, aspirational. They love the stories, but they're going to make a frozen pizza for dinner. Yeah. And then you have the cook who oh, wants to get into. You just told
0: my story. <laughs> I mean, those are the best cookbook patrons because they don't make the
2: book sturdy. Correct. That is also (laughs) correct. And so there's quite a few in here that it's about the story. I mean, Mm -hmm. the recipes are fantastic, too, but you just, like, feel this book. So we really don't know where we're going to go until the very end of the year. And we look at, I think it was, I looked at 140 titles Last year, and I probably cooked from, like, 40 of those titles. Wow. And then, you know, then you nominate 10, and then, you know, everybody nominates 10, and then we work from there. So, Do you have
0: any favorite recipes that really stood out
2: from... So one of my favorite books on the list last year was The Korean Barbecue Master Your Grill in Seven Sauces by Bill Kim, and it's not just because he's from Chicago, (laughs) Um, but this was the one that I really... Just we just did it with my book club mm-hmm. at the library, and I never returned it. I've been renewing it this whole <gasps> time.
0: I am so, shocked.
2: So I had it for a year. <laughs> I cooked everything in the book, but there is these um, hoisin chicken wings that I made on Fourth of July for like the tenth time. But yep. as I'm still grilling them, the because it's a big makes a ton. The bowl of chicken wings is almost gone. I was like, people, I want to eat them too. (laughs) And there's only six people in my house. They are amazing. Okay. And I always felt probably a little intimidated by Korean cooking. It's a lot of spices. It's Mm. a lot of things I don't really know about. I love it, but I'm like, I don't know. He makes everything really accessible, and he's so laid back. In this, you don't feel any pressure yeah, to make like it a perfect. It's snobber. like yeah, it's got a really great tone, awesome story, mm-hmm. and yeah. So that was definitely my favorite, and those chicken wings are to die for.
0: I feel like food snobbery is like on the way out. People are really embracing like the street food, like the taste of street food, and also like the aesthetic
2: isn't the right word, but. The attitude of it, the attitude, right? And you know, someone like Martha Stewart gives me anxiety in the (laughs) kitchen because I'm not one. I'm not a. I like hosting parties and like that kind of a thing, but I don't. Everything doesn't have to be perfect, and I've never been that person. And I'm gonna burn something, and you know, something's gonna go awry. Presentation is the better, the best,
0: or isn't the most important?
2: Isn't yeah? And I mean, my table's still cute, but it's not perfect, (laughs) and I don't know how to fold napkins so i think there's a way to like i think a lot of we're kind of getting away from that where you get anxiety by reading the cookbook because you don't think you can achieve that level yeah and this is like any a lot of these books are like welcoming and they really want you to try their food please read the book and get into it
0: right embracing the (laughs) instructional part of it exactly
2: well so you mentioned a cookbook club Correct. let's talk about what that means so for probably almost 10 years now I've been running a cookbook book club and it's now expanded to our other branches mm-hmm. and so it's become kind of a thing but we host a book club just like a traditional book club we all read the same book um, this you know we take it home we read it we cook out of it and then we gather people bring dishes from yes. the, the book that we can pass we talk. I have a list, just like book club. I have a list of questions. We go around. We we talk about the books. We have half the people cook from the book. Half the people are book cookbook readers. Mm-hmm. So they talk a lot more about the feel of the book mm-hmm. and the layout. But little things about layout that you just don't think about too much when you're looking at a book. And this the cookbook will be, remain nameless, but had a fantastic uh, biscuit recipe. Mm-hmm. And your hands are in, you're kneading it, and that's when you're supposed to turn the page sure. to where no. the recipe is on the next page. And that book is so gross. You know librarians, I like yeah. know where that page is in the book and I wipe it yeah. down every time it comes back because somebody's dirty little finger went and yes. turned the page. Because what, I mean, what are they going to do? And those are the kinds of things that you don't really notice until you're paying attention and you're the reviewer. So my cookbook, I, we take notes and then I we use a product called Biblical Commons for a catalog. Mm-hmm. And I can write a review for a group on the book in the catalog oh, that other librarians, people can use. So my group really feels like they're a part of the, you know, criticism process and they yeah. have a lot to say. And we give a star to the book. Nice. And... We do a lot of different kinds of books, and it's really fun. I highly recommend it. And if cooking isn't your thing and cookbooks aren't your thing, but you are a crafter, mm-hmm. try it with crafting books. Try it with oh, knitting books. Yeah. Trying it, Try it with your hobby. You do, you know, whatever you're really into. Yeah. Find those books, because there's someone else who wants to talk about it, too. Yeah. And, you know, oh, this book or this Japanese knitting book is too hard. But I would love to know how you, you really knit out of it because mm-hmm. I'd buy that book because I don't know anything about knitting, you know. Yeah.
0: Oh, we should have, like, a librarian test kitchen where we just, like,
2: <laughs> test
0: instructional books. Absolutely. And everyone brings me food. That's, <laughs> that sounds perfect. That's the real reason for this thing. Yeah. So you talked a, a little bit about, like, things that you only know from actually using the cookbook, but you also do uh, – you're, you have a hand in the selection Correct. of the cookbooks for all of Chicago Public Library. So what kind of clues do you look for um, in the review? Because you obviously don't get all the books before you...
2: I do go outside of and I read things in like Delish mm-hmm. and other online publications because they will find things that we're not looking for. It's just such a broad area of publishing. Yeah. And things come out of nowhere You kind of just have to constantly keep your eyes open for what's the new thing. You mean like trends and hot things come out of nowhere? Or just, oh, there's this celebrity chef that is only a celebrity on this one website, and I've never heard of him, and now all of a sudden there's a book. Yeah. Like Bill Kim, I think I know who Bill Kim is because his restaurants are here in Chicago, but Mm -hmm. is he really a household name? You kind of just have to keep your eyes peeled, and there's so many little imprints Mm -hmm. making cookbooks now. It's, it's like there's a lot more out there. Yeah. And so when I, when we're purchasing, I think that I'm looking for things that have the same timelessness. I'm looking – things get on trend, and then I actually usually do wait until we get a copy and then rev- look at it, and then we'll add it to a selection list that other libraries can right. buy okay. from. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden there's 10 pie books. Yeah. And no one needs 10 pie books. You probably Is could that use – <laughs> You can probably use two or three pie books, right? and it's a lot about the feel. Mm -hmm. I usually do tend to go with the easiest Mm -hmm. entry and then something a little more complex. I like the kind of having both. Yeah. Because then your patron can learn to bake and then go to the master class and the next level. You don't want to have too much easy, too too many things are too hard. Yeah. Those are all the things I'm looking at when I'm suggesting things for our selection lists.
0: So what kinds of conversations do you have with people, with patrons to kind of understand what they're looking for and like what level they're ready for?
2: Do people come to you for that? So now that we with the cookbook club and then the the copy of the book is up at the counter. Yeah. Then we have patrons who don't come to club, but take the book. Mm -hmm. And then they come to the, you know, they come to check out and then they want to tell me about it or they email me like their opinion so that I can bring it up at club because they're not going to be there. But (laughs) then people will be like, Oh, that's interesting. I took your book on this. What else would you recommend? I'm now I'm so excited about Middle Eastern cooking Mm -hmm. or, and then because I've been doing the club so long, I usually do have, you have a couple. A reputation. I have a couple, you know, back years of cookbook recommendations in yeah. my mind that I would recommend, and I also know which ones were stinkers, <laughs> and okay. you know, people probably wouldn't like. It's right. a lot like regular readers' advisory. You get to know the person and what they're asking for, and you ask those clue questions about what were they reading it, were they cooking from mm-hmm. it, what what was it that they liked, and you can then thread back into your knowledge of cookbooks and recommend it. And because I know a lot about cooking, that's easy. I can't do that for knitting, but a coworker of mine who knits absolutely can. Oh, so I have this great scarf book. Oh, you're doing baby stuff? You know,
3: you can get right in there. And
2: so it's really a testament to me for librarians to really dig deep on what their hobby is in collection development because it's fun. You enjoy yes. it a lot. Right. And you become really a subject matter expert, mm-hmm. which you already are because you're an ex- You're doing it for fun. Yeah. So if you do woodworking, like know all the woodworking books, but be your subject matter expert.
0: I love that. And that makes me think you're probably like a great branch manager, <laughs> not to like hiss up, but just that idea. I mean, I think that that's like one of the things that is so fun about working in a library is that. Whatever you're interested in, you can find
2: an outlet for. Absolutely, and I think we get stuck in programming-wise. We get stuck, even I guess collection development. We get stuck in like I'm the fiction book club, or you know yeah. the, the standard programming that we all do. And I'm always encouraging people like tap into your if you build little free libraries for all your neighbors, like get into it. Do a program. Yeah, yeah. Tell everybody about it, and we'd love to hear it. Right, your library patrons will love to hear it. You're an expert. Yeah, especially with cooking. Mm-hmm. So
0: you talked a little bit about looking up uh, reviews and delish and stuff. If somebody is not a cook, a, a chef, or a home chef, or what do you think are the best places to sort of keep keep your finger on the pulse of cookbook stuff? Well, there or just. Look at this codes list and
2: yeah i mean the the codes (laughs) list is really great and it comes out everything's from the current year Mm -hmm. so when our list comes out in january or you know at ala midwinter time everything will be from 2019 another thing is that we don't usually include um reprints even Mm -hmm. unless they've had significant revision so nothing's going to sneak by these are what we consider exceptional so yeah, I mean, it's really a diverse list, and you could just get away with buying this. But if you're like, I want to get more into cookbooks and mm-hmm. finding out more about them, definitely I always start at the with my library journal reviews. Then I go to Bon Appetit, Delish, all of the online. And you can just put new fall cookbooks 2019. You'll yeah. get like 10 lists. There's bloggers out there who are doing it. And the lists all do kind of overlap, but then mm-hmm. that's a clue because – They've looked at the book and they've loved it. Yeah. Especially look for reviews that are recommending a particular recipe. That means that reviewer took it okay, home and, and actually used, used it. it. And they're like, you know, that crab salad is amazing. Yeah. Yes. If they're like the crab sailed so-so, but it's got a great feel, it's more like a travel guide, then you can decide yeah. if you're interested in that travel guide or, you know, if you're mm-hmm. still looking for the cookbook. So,
0: yeah. And then you fight with your cataloger about where it goes. Where it goes. There <laughs>
2: is, I mean, because what you'll find is there are kind of like five genres of subgenres of cookbooks. Mm-hmm. It's cultural, celebrity chef. Travel, which is you know a sense of place in a cookbook, it's mm-hmm. like going on vacation.
0: Yeah,
2: beginning cooking, cooking instruction. So yeah. it's more like a reference <laughs> title, which we really don't talk about very much anymore. But there is the, just the true reference cookbook, like the yeah. Joy of Cooking. Mm-hmm. There's a new edition coming out this yes. fall, by the way, if anybody didn't know. And I that's wonder the, if that will be on the list. We yeah, it, we're we've talked about it already. Um, yeah, it's coming out so late; it's going to be hard to to get to really started. like get a feel for it but I think it'll be we will look at it, it how much revision has been done that's the yeah. real question mm-hmm. they, they said that there's like over 400 more recipes but you don't really know until you get it i, I like there's, there's your, less
0: gelatin based
2: my yeah. joy of cooking i have the original joy of cooking that oh. was my mother's i have the joy of cooking that my grandmother bought me when i was 18 and i mean it's you thanksgiving comes i need that book i yeah. don't remember how to cook you know creamed onions and i've got to go in there and there's just certain things you go to that reference manual mm-hmm. because you're just looking for the facts and yeah. the facts only. Yes. And it's organized that way. So there it's like, but it's not really sexy like the rest of the cookbooks are now. So it, but it still has its place. Yeah. If you don't own the joy of cooking in your library, you probably should think about it. Yeah.
0: Or if it, you need to replace it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And those travel books, I mean, when those are always my most popular mm-hmm. when for cookbook club, because the oh. people who don't. Cook out of them,
0: okay. that has Are in lot
2: Yeah. If you a great example besides Israeli soul from a couple of years back is My Paris Kitchen. Okay, I remember and, that one. Oh my gosh! You eat the food, you're still dreaming of the pictures. You know, you're just yeah. like, oh. it just looks like a warm hug from Paris. Yeah, and but, that's that's like a, so much of what cookbooks are now is this feeling you get from cooking out of them and reading them. In ten years ago, it was all joy of cooking, right. And so it's really a whole new thing. I wonder why that
0: is. I mean, I guess because people are watching because Food, food TV Network, and-, and also we
2: can Google recipes. Right. So what gets you to, add. what goes to the cookbook? And so I think publishers are like, people just want it all, and it's worth the money. I mean, cookbooks are more expensive when they have, every page has a picture, yeah. and they're well-made, and they're gorgeous. Um, but... That's a book that everybody wants. I like to read cookbooks more than I like to read fiction. And you probably find a lot of your patrons do too, you know. I love
0: the idea of including cookbooks on your uh like if you do a travel display or if you do like an international fiction display or something. Absolutely. You'll
2: find a cookbook that'll go with with anything. Anything. We had a cookbook on our Woodstock display. Oh. It was like some hippie vegan cookbook yes, that worked, worked out perfect. And, it went, <laughs> and like you'd be surprised it's the first book that goes. Yeah, because that will surprise people. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. It's
0: interesting, yeah. Awesome. So do you have any final words about cookbooks? W- it, yeah, I would say make those wings. Make those wings, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming in, and um, here's to a lot of delicious cooking. And um, if you ever feel like you need to drop off samples at the ALA office... Uh, I'm available for <laughs> for food consumption. Perfect. Good.
1: <laughs> Here at Shelf Care, we heart books. The only thing we heart more than books are the people who make books happen. That's why we're super psyched to bring you the Shelf Care Interview, a sponsored conversation with authors, publishers, and other cool book people. You'll find the Shelf Care interview wherever you subscribe to Shelf Care, the podcast. It will be on the same feed, so no need to subscribe to something new. The first Shelf Care interview with romantic suspense and women's fiction author Irene Hannon is coming in November. So get ready for the Shelf Care interview where Booklist talks to book people. Hello, this is Heather Booth, Booklist's audio review editor. So many of us adults listen to our audiobooks as a way to entertain ourselves or pass the time and quell traffic-related frustrations during our commutes. But what about kids? Without portable CD players, when do they listen? Well, they could listen from the back seat as their parents drive them between home, daycare, school, and activities, or older kids might plug into their phones while waiting for trains and buses. That's right. Kids are commuters, too. While many library patrons visit us in the summer or at holiday time to grab some CDs or download suggestions for the family road trip, it's helpful to remember that families are road tripping every day all year long in dribs and drabs at those interminable train crossings in early morning darkness and into blazing evening sunsets. Audiobooks during shared commutes provide families with a common experience and plenty of topics to chat about. Even if families aren't commuting together, Using a service like Hoopla, which allows multiple checkouts of the same title, can be a way to use those in-between times as a connection point. Everyone can listen on their own device or on their own commute and come back together in the evening to talk about it. A family audiobook club. However your patrons might choose to share books with their families, here are a few audios that please a wide range of ages. First, one of my family's favorites, Jennifer Nielsen's Historical Adventures on Scholastic Audio. They feature families in times of peril, led by strong girls. I can't count the number of driveway moments when we just hung out in the car just to hear what had to be the ending of the story, but was really just one more white-knuckled cliffhanger while listening to Kate Simsey's read A Night Divided, a post-World War II book about a brother and sister seeking to reunite their family across the Berlin Wall. Nielsen's latest, Words on Fire, examines a similarly brave and bold girl seeking justice while she smuggles books in Lithuanian, despite the Russian ban on her mother tongue, during a dark episode in Lithuanian history. For families with younger kids, or those who want to relive a classic that they might have shared in the past, either in print or in movie form, suggest the new recording of Charlotte's Web by Listening Library. This full cast recording is anchored by Meryl Streep's narration, and includes a who's who of audiobook narrators, which can lead listeners to other audio experiences. You like the way the Gander sounds? Maybe pick up a whole book read by Dion Graham, like *Black Panther: The Young Prince* by Roland Smith. If you're partial to Templeton the Rat's sneering voice, give McLeod Andrews a try in a different context. The young readers' edition of Michael Pollan's *The Omnivore's Dilemma*, which can spur family conversations about meals. The environment, the food cycle, and other sciency topics with relevance to our everyday life. Both titles are also available by Listening Library. Nonfiction on audio can provide a great shared audio experience for families, especially for families that make dinnertime conversation about current events a priority, but need a break when the car radio news gets a bit too real. Young reader editions of popular adult nonfiction bring listeners all the meat of the book but keep the pace moving. Ideal for shared listening. For a familiar voice to parents and kids alike, try LeVar Burton's performance of Neil deGrasse Tyson's Astrophysics for Young People in a Hurry by Blackstone. The reading Rainbow and Star Trek Star puts his well-known enthusiasm for learning on full display in this lively, thought-provoking recording. Finally, I'll end with another personal family recommendation, Neil Gaiman's reading of his own book, Fortunately the Milk, on Harper Audio. This novella at right around an hour is the perfect length for commute listening, either in one fell swoop for the road warriors, or in a week's worth of fun for those lucky short drives. And it's entertaining and jam-packed with laughs, which makes it ideal for repeat listening. Kids will relish the absurdism, adults will love the wordplay, and everyone can get swept away hearing Gaiman's voice. Word of warning, this audio ruined any chance I ever had of reading the book to my own kids. They correct my delivery at every turn. When it comes to bedtime stories, Neil Gaiman I am not. So much is being made these days of the importance of showing up for your kids. Put together a little display on shared family commute listening and remind your patrons that showing up doesn't have to mean big week-long trips. It happens in small, everyday moments, too, and audiobooks are an efficient way of working the love of books into a growing family's jam-packed life. I'd love to hear what you add to the display. Tweet me at booklist underscore audio or find me in my bi-monthly All Things Audio newsletter. This has been Heather Booth for Booklist. Happy listening.
3: Hi, I'm Phil Morehart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. And this is the Dewey Decimal Podcast. No, 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 wait. This is an ad for the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Join me and the Dewey Decibel Correspondence each month for conversations with authors, librarians, scholars, and more about topics from the library world and beyond. Past guests Sally Field, Bill Knight the Science Guy, Kwame Alexander, Margaret Atwood, Stephanie Powell Watts, Viet Tan Nguyen, Brad Meltzer, Rick Steves, Ken Burns, Michael Eric Dyson, and many more have joined us to talk about everything from books and writing to library architecture and design. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Dewey Decibel Podcast. Thanks for listening.
0: Okay, so I'm here with George Kendall, our new editor and publisher for all of Booklist, the big boss. So everybody be cool when we're listening. So even our longest listeners don't know you very well, so I'm kind of excited to pick your brain about what you read and what's fun for you.
4: Great, thank you, Susan. Thank you very much, it's great to be here. Susan found me very easily because I'm a few doors down from her. Yeah, he tried to get away and I was like, listen.
0: We've got important work to do here. So let me do kind of a reader's advisory question for you that okay. the librarians will recognize. What was a book that you read recently and just really dug?
4: Um, a book I read recently and really dug is named Station Eleven. Yes. By Emily St. John Mandel. Um, I sort of naturally kind of gravitate toward apocalyptic and dystopian fiction. Um, I really really enjoyed that book it, for me it had great characters mm-hmm. um, and it was kind of meta in certain ways in that one of the characters is uh, writes and illustrates graphic novels that yeah. seemed to be a book almost about books in certain ways and it also focuses on a traveling band of musicians and I used to be a musician oh, so we'll <laughs> talk about that too yeah so so a lot about that book specifically that it's kind of dystopian fiction and happens after a, uh, what they refer to as the Georgian flu and it right. wipes out 98% of the population. But also because it talks about literature, it talks about music, uh, really kind of appealed to me. I, I really love that book.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, I think there's a reason why that was a big hit. I mean, I don't know if it was like a big bestseller, but it was like a library hit because mm-hmm. people really connected to it. Because yeah. I think you're right. There were so many different pieces. And if you like dystopias, you're in luck because this is a rich time for <laughs> dystopian fiction.
4: It is. And I, when you told me you wanted to talk to me on the podcast, I was thinking about why I like dystopian and apocalyptic fiction. And it is a popular genre. But, you know, when you think about everything going on with the climate crisis mm-hmm. and the reducing amount of arable land and mass migrations, and it's just, there's a lot happening and for me personally, it for some reason, my escape is to read about maybe worse situations yeah. than, than we're experiencing right sure. now.
0: <laughs> or, yeah, it's at least the flu is bad, but it's not Georgian flu bad. Exactly, yeah. So I think there's a bunch of different styles of post-apocalyptic novel. You know, I, I don't know if you've read The Road. I have. I don't, I don't know if it's the grandfather of apocalyptic. To me, that feels pretty different from... Station Eleven?
4: It does. So The Road, I read it a long time ago, yeah. and they made a movie out of that, The Road.
0: Oh, right. I haven't and
4: seen that. I saw the movie, too, and it seemed to me that The Road it was about the connection and bond between father and son. Mm-hmm. And if I'm remembering it correctly, which has been a long time, it was a little bit more depressing yes. than... Station Eleven had kind of more of an uplifting, at least towards the end, I don't want to give away the story, but it, right. it had, you know, things were getting back on track towards the end of the book, which was sort of positive. And, you know, I appreciated that along with all the other, you know, characterization and plot twists in the book. So I like that aspect of Station Eleven. I really enjoyed The Road, too, and you know, I've read other books in this genre. Of course, 1984 is a mm-hmm. classic. And, All
0: right, yeah, that that one's probably and, the grandfather of the genre. And,
4: yeah, and, and Handmaid's Tale, too, so yeah, yeah there's, there's a
0: lot. Yeah, but I, I think uh, you're right that the Station Eleven, the thing that felt maybe hopeful about it, and I think the thing I liked about it, because I'm a sucker for a happy ending, is that it was hopeful. And I think what you said about how it's you end with them starting to rebuild Mm-hmm. whereas with Handmaid's Tale, maybe it's been a long time since I read the book, so I don't remember the ending, but I remember the road being pretty bleak. And Yeah, yeah so I, I wonder if that's what people are really getting out of the current like dystopian novel, is, because they're secretly hopeful.
4: They're secretly hopeful, and maybe I'm secretly hopeful, too. Yeah. That's a good point. The thing about books like The Handmaid's Tale in 1984, and maybe even Station Eleven, is that they just seem to become more and more relevant. Right, time. Um, And that's another thing I like about... I'm, I'm making genre. a hopeless face at you now that you said <laughs> that,
0: because you're right, it's <laughs> terrible. So, do you think that when something gets adapted for screen, does that make you more likely to go back and read the original, or do you like to read before you watch, or are they just two separate experiences?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I'll use The Handmaid's Tale as an example. So I read it when it first came mm-hmm. out in the 1980s, and I... Reread it in, uh, I, I guess, the, the early 2000s mm-hmm. and, and then reread it again recently. But I, we don't have cable, so I watched the, the Handmaid's Tale TV series on DVDs that I got from the library, actually. Excellent. After I had read the book. And it, it was very different from the book. Mm-hmm. At least my experience watching the show is very different. Unfortunately for me, I don't think I'll go back and reread The Handmaid's Tale now Mm -hmm. because I just have these different ideas of what the story is now from the TV show and the book. But I do want to read the Testaments.
0: So let's talk about the library, your library usage. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, you know, you work for the American Library Association, so of course you visit the library, which I say, even though that's not always the case. But I know it's true in your case. Mm -hmm. You also don't only go to the library for yourself.
4: Right, so I spent a lot of time in libraries even before I started working at ALA. I have a young daughter, almost four. And she's real cute. <laughs> uh, she's a lot of fun, and we spend a lot of time in the library. So in the youth department, they have great programs for kids. They have story time, of course.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: At the library we go to, they have a program called Messy Art, which is really oh, fun.
0: Oh, nice. And they
4: have a program called Untidy Toddlers, which is also great fun. And she, she really has a great time at the library, and there's other programs as well. So we spend a lot of time there. Uh, we also check out a ton of books.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So we check out, you know, she wants to get this book and that book. And, you know, libraries now have toys, which when I was a kid, I don't remember toys at libraries. I, yeah. But you can check out toys now, and they even have these little electronic devices mm-hmm. that help with, um, you know, learning various things, language in her case, um, spelling, the alphabet. So you can check all these things out. Mm-hmm. And so we end up having like a huge collection yes. of library materials at our house. and Try to return them on time, but it doesn't always work Look. out.
0: Can, and is she really into dystopias also? <laughs> 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 not What's <laughs> not the <a> four-year-old version <laughs> yeah. of a dystopia? I guess if she can't check out her toy,
4: maybe. Yeah, when she can't check out her toy, the world is ending for yeah. sure. Exactly. But yeah. she's
0: hopeful that she, next time she comes in to the library, she it will
4: is. be there. She is. She gets really excited to go to the library.
0: I love that. Did you guys do summer
4: reading? We, we do all kinds of programs, summer reading. Yeah, the library we go to, they had a special summer reading program. Right. And so she was part of that. And she has, you know, she's made a lot of friends there. And in fact, she's almost four. So we were thinking about sending her to preschool. But I don't think that we will because the library programs are so rich. Yeah. That we don't really need to.
0: Right. Well, that's nice. Yeah. And all of the youth librarians out there, I hope you feel a wave of appreciation.
4: And I, I will say, speaking of youth librarians, one of the things that, you know, I was with her when it during one story time when they did the very hungry caterpillar with sure. props. It was oh. amazing. And then they then all after the story, all the kids go over to the craft room and make a very hungry caterpillar. Nice. And she was very proud of that and it's hanging on our wall at her house. Oh, so.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. So let's talk about the future. I know your read book list mm-hmm. and you see all these reviews of books that are coming out soon. Has anything caught your eye that you're like, I can't wait to dig into this?
4: Yeah. So one thing that I think is great about the reviews and book list is, I mean, if we're talking about reader's advisory, the reader's advisory is kind of built into mm-hmm. the reviews. So there's all kinds of recommendations within the review itself. And I'm not talking about all of our top 10 lists and read-alikes and and other readers' advisories, materials in the magazine, but within the review itself. For example, Station Eleven. I was reading the review of it, which was it was a star review. It was a good yeah. review. Yeah, good. Um, get to the bottom, and there's a bunch of other books that Perfect. if you like this, you might like this. So um, one of them was the Passage trilogy by Justin Cronin about mm-hmm. vampires, which is kind of also apocalyptic. Also, a TV and, show. But it has vampires in it. It's a TV show. I haven't seen that. But I'm Read the book first. Okay. I'm, I am reading the books. They're, you know, good. They're yeah. long, but they're good. Mm-hmm. And another one, which I haven't read yet, but I'm very interested in reading, uh, named The Dog Stars, which is an older oh, book. Oh, yeah. But our very own Donna Seaman wrote the review of it, and it looks great. And then there was one that was just recently reviewed, uh, which came out in our review of the day, named The Future of Another Timeline by Annalee Newitz. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just looks really fun. It's kind of apocalyptic and science fiction. And I mean, that, those are the two genres I really gravitate to. So I, I really want to read that as well when I get time. I have a long list. Yeah. And working at Booklist, my list of books to read keeps growing. It's so. terrible.
0: I mean, it's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem.
4: <laughs> I'm, I'm currently reading, uh, in fact, you know, I, I went back, I read old issues of Booklist because the content in Booklist never really gets old. Um, <laughs> I um, want to say
0: we paid you to say that, yeah. although maybe we did. Actually yeah, sort yeah. It,
4: but. Um, but I read uh, Donna's review of the Overstory, um, uh-huh. which came out yes, last year. Last year,
0: right? Richard uh, Powers. Yes. Okay.
4: And although it's not apocalyptic or dystopian, it's a great book, and I'm working through that one now, along with a couple other books. And so when I get through those, then I think I'm going to read the future of another Time. So,
0: can you read more than one book at a time? I try. I've
4: got some work to do in that area. You know, I I do. I (laughs) like to finish books. And when I read more than one at a time, it obviously takes me longer. And, you know, with everything else going on in life, it's hard to read multiple books at the same time. But there's so much to read.
0: I know. You kind of have to. Well, that's why I'm glad that my job is just to sit at my desk and read all day. I (laughs) I really appreciate that. So thank you for encouraging that. All right. Enough shenanigans. Thank you for talking to me and letting me pick your reader's brain. And welcome to Booklist. We're so happy to have you.
4: Thank you very much. Uh, Happy to be here. You know where to find me if you want to talk again.
0: Yeah, just go to my office and go down the hall. All right. Thanks, George. All right. Thank you. You did it. You listened all the way to the end of this episode of Shelf Care, the podcast. And I'm so glad you did, because that means I can remind you one more time that all of the books mentioned by Sarah Tansley, Heather Booth, and George Kendall will be listed in the show notes on booklistonline.com slash shelf hyphen care. Until next time, this is Susan McGuire signing off from Booklist HQ. Happy reading! Bye!